This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's path with an S. Hello and welcome to the Thanks for Sharing podcast. I'm John T. And I'm Jackie P. We're here today uh, with our guest, Dan Griffin. He's the host of the Man Rules podcast. Hey, Dan. Hi. Good morning. Good to have you. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, so if you have not heard the Man Rules podcast yet, um, we would highly recommend it. We'll put a link to it in our show notes. But um, Dan, tell us a little bit about what you're doing with Man Rules and uh, why that's relevant now. Yeah, you know, I think there's just this ongoing interest right now, this really peaked interest um, on 21st century, men in the 21st century and 21st century masculinity. And it's been on my mind for a very long time. And uh, I just, quite honestly, I love the podcast medium. I mean, I, I'm a, I really enjoy it for me personally. And so I've been able to engage in some great conversations. But it's really just all about how can we consciously be the men we want to be in our relationships, in our work lives, and just in the community in general, just with greater consciousness? And unless we can really see the way men are so deeply and insidiously programmed to be men without necessarily thinking through some of that, um, the default seems to get in the way a lot. Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a, concept you bring up a lot on your your podcast that concept of being in the water and because we're in the water we don't realize it's there and I find myself as I listen I'll go in and out of like kind of this conscious connection like oh yeah this is an issue and I can see how this is playing out and then like I'll float back into like what is he talking about and why are we talking about this (laughs) um so I I like that kind of deep insidious uh programming because that's definitely how I think that's definitely how a lot of men experience it is uh, just so running in the background, so there all the time, we're not even aware of it. Yeah, you know, and I try to make it a point, you know, with the water, just for your listener's perspective, I mean, it's all about this idea that like like a fish coming up to other fish saying, how's the water? You know, we as human beings are in this water and we're all in the water, right? So mm-hmm. women are in the water, men are in the water, the whole continuum of gender is in the water and being impacted differently And what I say all the time is that what clouds the water the most is all the unhealed on, you know, all the Mm. shame and trauma that we Mm. haven't dealt with. And so it creates this inability to, to really see each other clearly. Um, And, and so, you know, I, there are times where I'm having conversations and I'm like, why are we talking about? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I find, <laughs> it's just so it's so powerful and insidious and so ever present that I mean, quite honestly, it can be overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I find that recent conversations that are being had um, seem to me to be conversations that we haven't had to this level for maybe as long as we're having that really hit on some of these male issues. And it seems, I hope, maybe this is my um, positive thinking, but I'm hoping that we're getting to a tipping point and that things will be different going forward. You know, I'm actually convinced 
we're getting to a tipping point. In fact, I, I think we're already at that tipping point and it's mm-hmm. just now the matter of, you know, like that wave, it's everything that's coming with that wave. Mm-hmm. So um, I've talked about it several times. People don't necessarily agree with me, but this last election, the rhetoric of the last election, the results of the last election, I don't believe are a harbinger of things to come. I believe they are the last gasp of what was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I truly, truly believe that. I, I'm not, now I'm, I'm, I'm a white guy of privilege, like immense privilege. So I can say this differently than other people, but I'm not ultimately afraid of, of what's happened um, because I, I truly don't believe, um, when you look at the history of this country, Never in the history of this country has fear, hatred, or division ever won. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say, after the election, I mean, I'm a female, but I'm still a white female, so I have some privilege there. And after the last election, I have to say, I was afraid. Um, and yet, I think just things that have happened in the year since then, I think I've gotten to that place of hope that maybe this needed to happen to start to change forever going forward and letting this old way of being die off. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, a country that says this could never happen, to watch it happen, it was a wake-up call. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to be misunderstood. I, I think there's a lot of reasons for fear a year ago. I think there are a lot of reasons for fear now. But I tried to take the bigger picture mm-hmm. when I think about some of these macro issues, like even for men in general, I think, you know, there's a lot of change that I think we could still benefit from. But ultimately, the long view for me is very positive, And I just am very optimistic mm-hmm. about that. Um, you know, but I mean, there's some ugly, ugly shit that's happening. Yes. Yeah. Happening as a result of I mean, directly as a result of what happened last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been a lot, a lot of positives that just, it simply wouldn't have happened. Yeah. There would not have been the mobilization or the galvanization that people have felt. Um, and, and I think that's the difficulty sometimes when you get into these conversations is that um, from a spiritual perspective, I think there's a much different view than a political perspective. And when people separate that out or when you try to bring a spiritual perspective in, you know, this, this idea that I have on my tattoo on my arm that says all is well. Mm. And it comes from the mystics of centuries and millennia that says no matter how screwed up things look on the surface, that underneath it all is well. And you don't have to believe that. You can believe that. You can say that's a, a comment of privilege to be able to think that. But from a spiritual perspective, I really try to always come mm-hmm. back to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's, let's back up a little bit with that as kind of the backdrop for where we're going to go, kind of talking about what is happening right now um, and specifically with men and why, why you have so much confidence in them. What brought you to this point, Dan, where you are working with men in the way that you do? and that you're speaking on men's issues like you do? Yeah, you know, it was really, it was one of those things that you could either call happenstance or divine sort of intervention. But, you know, when I was, when I was younger, I ended up being treated for testosterone, with testosterone shots to grow. So growth hormone at the age of 16 in a pretty 
abusive alcoholic home um, where being short um, and weak uh, or feeling short and weak uh, did not serve me at all. And I, I'm a pretty intelligent guy, so that didn't help me, quite honestly, mm -hmm. because I was thinking way too much about my circumstances and why am I so short? Why are these other kids growing? Then I got the growth hormone. Then in undergrad, you know, fast forward, and I'm using a lot of drugs, and I'm really out of control, um, but I discovered sociology, and some friends encouraged me to take a sociology of women course, mm. and they encouraged me to take that course at the same time that I really started delving into the idea of alcoholism uh, by attending a children of alcoholics group on campus. Mm. And the two came together in a profound way in the sense that I'm discovering gender. I'm discovering all this stuff around women's experience. I talked to the professor and I say, Hey, is anybody looking at men's experience? And she was like, I don't know. Why don't you do some research? Um, I actually, in retrospect, I think she did know she wanted me to do the research and, <laughs> and, and, and discover for myself, right? And I did, and I, I learned about what some in the early 70s, especially in academia, some people were looking at this. So then I got into recovery, and I start going to my first recovery support meetings. And like uh, what I say all the time is like a guy comes up and tries to hug me, and my, you know, as soon as I walk through the door, he doesn't know me. Mm -hmm. I've never seen him before. And he, and he tries to hug me. And I'm like, what? what what's going on? <laughs> and, and halfway through the meeting, you know, I was in a small town in Virginia. And, you know, we, the preppy kids and the suburban spoiled kids going to the university versus the townies. We have our judgments about all these guys. And this guy walks in and, you know, a stereotypical small town guy in many ways. And then he just starts speaking so beautifully and eloquently and personally about his life halfway through. And I had literally dismissed that exact same guy at the beginning of the meeting. Mm. as like, why would I come here, you know, to be with these people? Mm -hmm. So that was the day in many ways that I saw the water. Mm. And so most of my journey since then has been, you, you know, there, it, it's that thing where I either I had to convince other people that what I was seeing was real or I just continued to feel left out, disconnected, um, not fitting in. And so part of the mission for me has been to get some validation that that these observations and these ideas that so many that I had of so many men struggling to feel like that feel like, quote unquote, real men, that I wasn't alone in that. Mm hmm. So, so much of my work has been really trying to develop a dialogue and a conversation that helps men give voice to the fact that they might feel alone in that too, or might not even be aware that they've got it. And then it turned into a book, and then it turned into a curriculum, and then another book, and, and then working with programs and, um, and, and doing a lot of talks, because then I, it, it became clear to me that people aren't being trained as professionals to see and understand this, that the way we deal with trauma is deeply, deeply deficient when it comes to men's needs and, and how to support men, that treatment programs alone are not really structured uh, to really take into consideration men's unique issues and needs. Mm -hmm. 
So there you go. I mean, like it just kind of unfolded. Yeah. You know? And yeah. If, if there's a, such a thing as destiny, in some ways it feels like that's how it's been for me is I've just kind of followed the path that's been laid out before me and I keep trying to do that and see where it'll lead. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I love those stories of kind of the call that comes to us in our work and we're just kind of called to the work whether we recognized it or not. The work wasn't letting go of us. Yes. Yes. And that, and that's really how it was for me, Jackie, because I, I was an undergrad. So this was in 1994 mm. and I did my graduate work in, at the university of Kansas. I was done with that in 1998. I went to train at Hazelden and started pursuing it. And then I walked away from it. Mm-hmm. I walked away from it. I didn't start writing A Man's Way Through the 12 Steps until 2008. And um, it wouldn't go away, though. It yeah. just it would not go away. Um, and so I absolutely, that resonates with me. Uh, because as soon as I wrote that book, the things just seemed to shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that... I was going to say that sounds like such a, to me, a flipping of the script for what we see with most men who, who will um, go and pursue something passionately. And like you said, convince people that these are issues. You know, we see a lot of men kind of distorting the reality around them, but it's that unconscious thing. Again, they don't know what's motivating them or they don't even know what it is that they're trying to accomplish. There's just a lot of, um, you know, I think whipping up emotion or whipping up people or, or getting followers or whatever that looks like. And it, it's just interesting to me to hear your story of your path. It seems like that consciousness is really what turns that into something that um, is helping people. Like I I have a lot of the guys that I work with who listen to man rules um, and can't get enough of it because Mm -hmm. it's this conversation that they've needed to have for so long. No, thank you. And, 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 and I will say it's, it is seductive to kind of go through a traditional man rules sort of persona to try to do this work. And every time I've accidentally or unconsciously fallen into that, it has brought me to my knees. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, the, the, this year in particular was a challenging year in the sense of getting what I thought I was working toward. And it was not, it was, yeah. it, mm-hmm. it was not at all. And so I appreciate that, that, that awareness, John, of, of like, this is, um, this is its own you know, to do this consciously requires kind of a different approach. Otherwise mm-hmm. it, it really does become a, just a, a man talking about conscious masculinity really through a man. <laughs> yeah. And then it becomes its own mind. Right. Screw, right. Yeah. That's why I try in the podcast in my podcast to just always constantly talk about how imperfectly I do all this. Mm-hmm. You know, and that it's not doing it perfectly. It's about doing it consciously. Because yeah. if you had my wife and my daughter on the podcast, you know, they, they'd be like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's very imperfect. Like, he's got this wonderful message. And, you know, my dad gets upset at me and sometimes is mean to me. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, Dan, you know, can revert to a pretty controlling mm-hmm. SOB mm-hmm. Uh, in our relationship. Um, and... You know, I mean, it, it is what it is. I got, I've got a whole 
I've got a whole bag of trauma that I'm still trying to mm-hmm. unpack and let go of. And it's followed me for years. Yeah. Which I, I think is important, uh, you know, in breaking one of the man rules is to let yourself be seen as imperfect, right? And just working through the process and not having to be strong all the time or know what to do or know how to fix everything that sometimes, yeah, you're the one who needs fixing, right? And that's not an easy process. No, that's absolutely right. And that's a great, um, it's a great way of looking at it. Brene Brown obviously has done mm-hmm. a lot of work around it. And I think my work, I try to target even more than she has from the perspective of men. Um, and, you know, I think from that perspective of imperfection, I'm working on a book right now for, for dads, right? Oh. And, and the tentative title is Awesome Dads. Uh, but the subtitle is The Art of Being an Imperfect Father. Mm. And I want to somehow, and that might not end up being the, the final title, but I want to equate awesomeness with imperfection rather than awesomeness with somehow, because I, I talk to so many guys who are dads, and we, I, I think whether we communicate it or not, there's this incredible pressure we feel to be amazing or awesome dads but we interpret that as meaning like we can't screw up. Mm-hmm. Like we have to be awesome in a way that we probably weren't taught or shown how to be. We don't necessarily have the tools for our kids are triggering a lot of our past experiences, but yet we have to be, you know, we have to be awesome. And so I want men to understand that being awesome is being imperfect. Mm-hmm. Being awesome is more about being conscious and owning the stuff that we need to own and forgiving ourselves for the stuff that needs forgiving and just being on a constant trajectory toward growth rather than I'm an awesome dad, but now I feel like I have to hide all the stuff Mm -hmm. that I know I'm not doing well because it's going to compromise my awesomeness. That that reminds me about a year ago, uh, there was a carnival at my kid's school and I live in a, Um, I live in a city that has a pretty rough inner city and we're part of the inner city school district, although our, our school is not in the inner city. And so we're at this school carnival and uh, this guy walks up to me and um, he hands me this flyer and it was, I think that the name of the group was like big dogs and it had something to do with like, it it was an acronym that stood for, um, you know, being, being the right kind of dad. So your kids can succeed in education. Um, and, and initially, like, my, my surface response was, like, this eye roll, like, hey, I'm, I'm here with my kids, like, I'm involved. And then the second thing I felt was a lot of intimidation, like, it, if this is another, like, if this is the counter narrative to af- absent dads, I can't do that either. Um, and I, I, I think I threw the flyer away, like, right there at the carnival, just with that overwhelm of, um, okay, so here is somebody with a list of how I'm supposed to be a present dad. I know I'm not going to measure up to that either. So I really appreciate that, uh, that being a dad in imperfection. Um, that's so, it's so overwhelming to think of doing that counter to the narrative that has a lot of traction in our society. Yeah, and I mean, that's such a great point too, because here's, here's what I'm finding. I mean, Jackie brought it up earlier. There's no question that the conversation about masculinity is shifting dramatically. But what I see, like, you know, I see some of these podcasts that are out there and and when people listen to the intro of my podcast or, I don't know, I mean, I think I released kind of 
some some preview episodes and and in it i'm like look if you're coming to this podcast to figure out how to get laid how to make more money how to be this or that you know you're you're in the wrong podcast mm-hmm. if if you're looking for a way to be the man you've always wanted to be and if as a result of that you get laid more mm-hmm. and you have better you know make more money and have a greater career that's great but if that is your if that is your means Mm-hmm. And, and and the end that you're looking for, um, I'm not your guy. Like I don't, I don't really think you're going to get a lot out of what I have to say. Um, and I think that's part of the counter narrative, right? Is it's two sides of the same coin. You can you can have the men's rights guys who are who are hurt. Mm-hmm. They're hurt. Mm-hmm. They're afraid. They've been traumatized by a very unfair system. Um, and they're also unable to kind of layer underneath the anger. So they keep shooting themselves in the foot, but you have that. And then you have the converse of these guys um, who are, you know, more passive and maybe don't have a real sense of their own strength. And, and that's like one side. And then on the other is this narrative of these guys who feel like, um, I have to reinstate the traditional man, you know, like that, that's, that's what I hear from some of these guys that I've even had on my podcast. It's like women want a guy who's this. And so men just have to go back to being this Mm -hmm. and that this quote unquote usually means a stronger presentation, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that men have somehow become spineless or doormats or, um, you know, something like that. And I guess what I keep trying to do is if it truly is a paradigm shift, then you're, you're not being quote unquote that, but you're also not, not being that because as long as that is still the frame of reference, it's what dominates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I've, I've talked to, you know, men that I care about, whether those, that's my brothers, whether that's my spouse, uh, whether it's men that I work with as clients, I've talked with them for, for years, just kind of, I didn't have the framing like that you put it as the man rules, but, but that the end that I see for men, if they're following the masculinity, the way that it's presented today, I see three outcomes, right? This is where the three roads end. And I have said it ends in addiction, it ends in violence, where it ends in a lack of feeling good enough and depression and suicide. Mm. And I I mean, that may be a little bit simplistic, but I've said none of those are good ends. And as a female who loves men and has men that I care about, I'm interested in you guys saving yourself. And while I've wanted to be part of that conversation, I feel like there's also this man rule that gets in the way because the last thing men want to be is a girl. And so as women, if we were to say, maybe here's how, because I think we are given more permission to be emotional, to be relational. Sometimes those are the women rules that work against us, but we are given permission to do that. We have some things to teach men but I think it's hard for men to learn from women because of some of the man rules. Yeah, you know, I mean, this could be a whole nother conversation because I, I, in the years I've been doing this, Jackie, I've talked a lot about the man rules. And then people are like, why don't you talk about the woman rules? 
And I, and it was a little bit like Brene Brown got confronted mm. about why she wasn't talking about men. And I was like, this is about men and I'm not gonna, right. you know, I'm not going to do that and I'm not an expert. But more and more, it got called for me to talk about and to understand and to appreciate the nuances and the contradictions and double standards that women have to deal with on a daily basis with the woman rules. So I started dealing with the woman rules. And, you know, the concept of the water helps me a lot because what I get to say is like, look, we are all in the water. Women have internalized the man rules and the woman rules and men internalize the man rules and the woman rules. And we've all internalized the rules that say gender has to be a binary anyways, mm -hmm. which it's really never right. been. Um, and so your point is a challenging one in the sense that one of the woman rules, and you can tell me what you think about this, because this is, this is a controversial conversation I have in a lot of my trainings. But one of the woman rules tends to be we get men better than men get themselves. Mm -hmm. And when women come to us from that perspective, of course we're going to shut them down. Right. And I don't think women mean to, but that's the whole point of the water. We, there's a lot of shit we don't mean to do, but we do it. But, but I hear it from women a lot. And I even had like a, a woman approach me. She was doing some work for men. She was writing a blog and that sort of stuff. And she was presenting it as though nobody was doing anything for men. And it was like her job to speak up. And I was like, first off, I don't think you've researched this at all. There's tons of stuff out there for men that men are doing. Why don't you connect with those men and then see what makes sense for you rather than thinking like it's your place to try to have this conversation for us. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, because if you were to reverse it, right, this is what I go to all the time. When, I try, when I'm trying to see if something makes sense from a woman's perspective, or like the role of a woman in a particular situation. I always ask myself, well, how would it look if a man were doing this? Mm -hmm. Like if a man were the one who was trying to start a conversation about women more consciously about women and was then trying to be the one who, you know, brought that forward, how well would that be received? And, and I, I believe it's very nuanced and I believe it's a both and sort of thing, right? Because mm -hmm. I think, I don't think we can do this without women. And I don't think women can do it without men. And that's, you know, why I say we're all in this together. But I think women, if women are going to be conscious about helping men, part of that consciousness has to be understanding how men might experience your sense of either wanting to connect, wanting to support, um, and is it wanting to fix? Is it wanting to teach or kind of control um, or wanting to tell them what's wrong with you mm -hmm. and what you really need to learn from us or what you need to know because we know better? So obviously I've put some thought into it. It's very controversial. I've, I've had a lot of women I've engaged with around this. And, you know, my intentions are always good, which is to try to parse through some really complicated stuff. Um, and, and, and I think it can come across or get misconstrued, but I never mean it to be sexist, mm -hmm. offensive toward women or dismissive toward women, but I also want to push back a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying this applies to you at all. I'm just saying in the larger scheme, mm -hmm. 
you know, when women come to my trainings, they're like, oh, my husband has to hear this. Oh, my, my husband has to read your book. Oh, my husband has to do this. And I'm like, actually, your husband has to do nothing. Right. And if you go from this training to him, from this place of like all this stuff you've discovered for him, it's not going to go anywhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I... Um well, and, and let's be honest, right? I mean, women don't have it all figured out yet. I mean, I, I look at sometimes the the um, pushback among women, the working women, the stay-at-home women, the, you know, more um, athletic women, the more feminine women. I mean, w- w- we turn on each other just as much. So it's not like we've got it all figured out and are just waiting for men. <clears throat> but what you're saying, it reminds me, you know, when my kids were much younger, my husband and I had a conversation once when um, I, one of our kids had fallen down like on her bike or something and was hurt. And he was kind of that, like, it's okay. You're tough. Like get back on, you know? And I said to him, like, why don't you ever like pick her up and be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You're hurting. Come here. Let me like, you know, let me hug you. Let me make it better. And he said to me, I, I get the feeling that you think if I was more like you, it would be better. Mm. Mm. And I kind of paused for a moment. And then I said, well, yes, (laughs) 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 that's true. I do think that if you were like me, you would be a better person and a better parent and a better da, 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 da. And he said, well, I just want to point out, he said, this is my typical response when the kids get hurt is, you're tough. You can do this. And he said, and sometimes, and he said, in your responses tends to nurture and comfort them. And he said, and they can probably predict that about the two of us. And he said, and sometimes when both of us are available, they come to me first choice. They don't go to you. They come to me. And he said, what I think is important is that our kids have both of us being who we are. Mm. And it really was kind of a humbling experience Mm. to start to kind of step back and see how he does things um, in his own imperfect way and to see that as valuable, even though it's very different from how I do things and to not kind of get caught in that binary that one is better or that one is right. And I think that's, I think that's difficult, you know, and all the stuff I've been doing around fathers and the father's workshops that I do, which is all about helping a tre- treatment and, and child protection system see the water around dads, mm-hmm. which is its own fascinating conversation. Um, you know, there are, there's some, there's some concepts or some strong ideas in the water, you know, that women are automatically maternal automatically intuitive and automatically get the best way to take care of a child and at the same time i've i have learned a lot from my my wife mm-hmm. you know because she was given more permission as a child to be relational to be connecting to be respectful toward um and honor more vulnerable and softer feelings than i was you know and and as my daughter continues to be at the age where like I, I know from my past, like the abusiveness and the anger that I received from my dad intensified once I hit a certain age, I think because it was more condoned mm-hmm. by larger society. 
mm-hmm. you know, as a way of just like kind of man up sort of perspective that, you know, my wife helps me. Mm-hmm. Like she helps me so that I'm not, we call it channeling Owen. I'm not channeling my dad. Mm-hmm. I can be more conscious, you know, while at the same time, there's stuff that the woman rules do around moms and women being moms that, you know, my wife and I, I've helped her, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, Hey, let her do this. Like the more you do this for her, the more she's going to think she can't do it. The more she's going to depend on you. And guess what? Then you have what we have in our society, which is, uh, you, you know, we hear about all these failure to launch guys, mm-hmm. all these young guys that are fairly failure to launch. And I'm kind of like, really? I mean, was it, is it them? Or was it a failure to prepare anybody to actually be able to launch? Right. That is, is really the issue. Or is there just this whole generation of men that suddenly became genetically incapable of taking care of themselves and knowing how to mm-hmm. take care of themselves? Or was there a shift in parenting that basically prevented young men in particular from having a deep sense of like, I can take care of myself. I know how to do this for myself um, in, in this shifting landscape of masculinity, because that I, I think is what this young generation of men is struggling with so much. Um, and I just, I think it's so wrong of us to put it on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would add to that, you know, is it another lens of, coming from the woman perspective, you know, that for women, we are often told that one of the most valuable things we can be as a mother, is there this fear that we have of like out using our value, out using our usefulness as our kids get older and they don't need me the way that young kids do. Now what do I do? Right. And so rather than facing that fear of developing the self and going internal or having to look at this marriage that I'm not happy in. Yes. I want to keep the kid in the middle of that. I mean, that's actually, you're the first podcast I've been on where it's been a man and a woman. And I so appreciate that because it enables for the nuances to this conversation to really take place Mm -hmm. in the sense that it's both and yeah. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's always, to me, it's like it's always both and, 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 and that's why I advocate consciousness. I don't advocate a specific role. Like I, people mm-hmm. always try to get me to define masculinity. I'm like, I, I have no idea how to define <laughs> who John's got to be or Dan's got to be or any other man's got to be. That's like an internal journey. And when it's most congruent with who you are, it's going to be, it's going to feel like a really great man. So a man who does a lot of traditional male stuff can be very conscious mm-hmm. and can be a wonderful man. You know, so it's like, that's, that's his journey. And for women, it's the same thing. It's that consciousness. And the woman rules doesn't demand a lot of consciousness Um, any more than the man rules does. And I think it can be, and I I listened to your podcast on sexism and I thought it was really fantastic because sexism is such a difficult, it's such a difficult concept today Mm -hmm. because it's so multi, 
dimensional. Um, and, and so I think for women to give themselves permission to step into their own imperfection without it having to hit the shame they feel about how society or their family values them or how they even value themselves. That's like so critical, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think. That, and, and so challenging because we still live in a society that is, that's very sexist toward women, becoming increasingly sexist toward men. Um, and, you know, I mean, of course, depending on how you determine or define sexism, some people would say, well, women can't be sexist toward men because of power and men are still in power. You know, that's what I learned in sociology. But there are certainly, there are complications to sexism that have never existed before mm-hmm. or have not been as um, needed to give voice to uh, before as they, as they are today. Yeah. Well, and I would say it's that, that, that sexism is that harmful attitude towards either the opposite gender or the same sex gender, um, but based on gender issues, right? Based on their maleness or their femaleness, there's beliefs and harmful attitudes towards them. Yeah. Go ahead. I was, I was going to say, I, I think currently nothing is highlighting this issue like what broke with Harvey Weinstein four weeks ago. Yeah. And continue to break daily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, men and women coming forward. Um, and, and when you were talking about, Dan, being able to come forward through the shame and through the judgment of other people to talk about your experience, I think we're seeing that on a national stage um, that really highlights a lot of these nuances and a lot of the, the shame dynamics here. And, and I think that's why it's got to be the both end because mm-hmm. so, so here's, here's, here's a way that I talk about it that is definitely controversial. So the tape comes out about uh, then presidential candidate, Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. It, 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 by almost any objective measure, it is reprehensible. I mean, it, it is egregious. It is unfricking believable. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's ugly, and it's one of the darker aspects of masculinity. Then President Obama, then President Obama, several other men come forward and they say, well, I don't know what kind of man or men he's talking about, but there was never any talk like that in the locker rooms where I was, and any real man is not going to engage in that. And see, that's the either or. Mm-hmm. And I think it's bullshit. And, and it's like, how do you call bullshit on something like that without looking like you're condoning Donald Trump's behavior, but acknowledging the fact that, you know what? I can stand here as a 45-year-old man and say the stuff I've engaged in when it's come to sexist, objectifying, homophobic conversations about women and about any aspect of sexuality in this culture. If you had a videotape or an audio tape of me in my worst moments, you'd think I was a pig, mm-hmm. but I'm not. Mm-hmm. So how do you have that conversation and say, look, this isn't about good men and bad men, because if, that's, if that were the case, then all these good men who struggle with this and they struggle with porn or they struggle with all the internalized ideas about women that they've got, where they were abused by women, so they've got these really distorted ideas about mm-hmm. women. 
all of those men who wanted to come forward, who wanted to acknowledge that, are they less likely or more likely to come forward when the dominant narrative was like only bad men think this way? And that it's not the majority. And that it's not the majority or that I think what's more important is that Donald Trump was the extreme. Mm -hmm. here's, a, here's an incredibly powerful, egotistical man who's surrounded by sycophants who will, I mean, look at Billy Bush. That's, that's what he was doing. He may have been uncomfortable, but he's with an incredibly powerful man. What's he going to do? Stop the interview and say, oh my gosh, well, that's inappropriate. I don't think we can do this interview. Mm -hmm. How many people would literally stop the interview at that time? Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we're learning with Harvey Weinstein and with Kevin Spacey and with Brent Ratner and with these politicians. It's, it's not as simple to say like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm just going to speak up right now mm -hmm. that this has happened or that I'm going to be believed mm -hmm. or, you know, I mean, Harvey Weinstein was so powerful. I can see anybody who had a negative experience from him being like, I could speak up. I could be shut down. I could be forever blackballed in this industry and nothing will come of it because mm -hmm. may maybe they'll believe me. Maybe they won't. And, mm -hmm. and and I think, I mean, I, I was, I don't know about if you guys heard this, but a group of women have come forward in France demanding that President Macron address the massive amount of sexual assault and sexual exploitation in politics, in the political system in France. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. a direct result of the Me Too campaign. Mm -hmm. So... That's got to be a sea change. I mean, that I don't. Has it ever happened in in no. modern culture where it's it's had these kind of reverberations? I, not that I can call. It. Well, and and you look at. I mean, what happened? Billy Bush lost his job, right? Right. President, president Trump went on to be elected president of the President United Trump States. got a job. Yeah. <laughs> right. So so again, it's that. You know, Billy Bush could have stopped the interview or did it like note after and saying, hey, this does not reflect my opinion. Yeah. But to, to what avail, right? He lost his job and the other one was elected to the highest job in our country. Yep. And he lost his job for not speaking up. What would have happened had he, had he spoken up? Do right. we really believe that the, the network brass would have automatic? I mean, wasn't this on NBC the same time that that Trump had The Apprentice, and it was, I think, doing a pretty, pretty well. I mean, just like the same reason why the Weinstein story was shut down at the New York Times. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's very complicated, but I tell you what, I stand here as a man with a daughter and a wife and who cares deeply about this topic and considers himself a feminist, I think it's about time, and I look forward to the day of reckoning for Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So I don't care. I don't care who's. I don't care who goes to the ashes. I don't care who's left standing. If it means some of my greatest heroes and role models fall, let it happen. Mm -hmm. That's what I say. I mean this. This may be a little too light for this topic, but honestly, with all of the the talk around Kevin Spacey, I haven't watched House of Cards yet. Mm. And now I'm kind of disappointed that I'm not going to like, yeah. I'm just not going to be mm -hmm. watching that and tracking his, his career anymore. And, and I felt a lot of that same stuff as we look in, you know, it's, it's coming out in uh, government, it's coming out in Hollywood. Um, 
and I, I hope that that continues to filter down to everyday men in their everyday lives. And I'm of that same opinion. I don't care who has to fall for this. Um, and I don't care what, what has to be upset mm-hmm. because um, I, I think you did a really good point, Dan, of uh, outlining on both sides why, why it's a problem, why it's a problem to make this black and white. Um, and we have a really difficult conversation and some really messy sorting out to do as men and as a, as a society. And I think, I think that's, what's difficult, right? Um, and again, that's why I always say we're all in this together. Some men want to make it against women and mm-hmm. some women want to make it against men, mm-hmm. but we won't really make any progress. And even for all these folks, Harvey Weinstein, Brett Ratner, anybody else who the politicians who come out this, I don't mean like, they should be dismissed as human beings. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they're in the water. They're manifesting who knows what kind of mm-hmm. trauma. Um, so I'm not excusing their behavior and I'm not suggesting they should be able to maintain the capacity that they have. But I also believe like the only thing that's going to help us heal as a society is a, a high degree of responsibility and a high degree of compassion. And how, how do men, you, you brought it before, Dan, how this conversation needs to be started by men and carried on by men. Um, how are men going to kind of preserve and foster that compassion and that consciousness and those things that we're going to need to keep this going? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, men need to have the conversation. We need to have the conversation with women. Women want to have the conversation. They want, I mean, like, I don't want it to be like a men, you know, he man, woman haters club. Right. Um, And at the same time, you know, um, I think compassion, there's nothing in the man rules that breeds, fosters, or uh, supports uh, compassion. Right. So we have to actively facilitate it you know i mean i what i what i say about the man rules all the time is they are surrounded in don'ts they're embedded in don'ts Mm -hmm. right and and at the heart of those don'ts is you can't be this you can't be this don't be this don't be this and so there's never like you've never arrived you're never quite a man and so there's Mm -hmm. this constant lash you know this lash on the back of men that's like you've got to do more you've got to do more so there's nothing about self-compassion in there. Mm-hmm. And I love that. What's that? I said I love that. Uh, I mean, I, I feel that. <laughs> Don't know about you, you know, but I feel that. And I, I think for men, for us to, to find compassion for ourselves, we'll find more and more compassion for others. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and, and sometimes, you know, it's the empathy. It's like, it's really like me looking at my daughter and saying, she's eight. What is it like for her to experience me right now? Mm. How did I feel when I experienced my father raising his voice or standing over me versus me getting on my knees and talking to my daughter? How did that feel? And, okay, so if I can have some empathy for her, which might lead to some compassion for that little boy that I was, it inevitably also comes to some compassion for me. Mm -hmm. 
as well. And, and I think, you know, I, I think, I think that's part of it. I don't, it's a great question because I, I don't know that you can just like actively say, I'm going to be more compassionate. I, I right. think, I think it's about acknowledging our struggles and getting help and support to, to realize we're not alone in those struggles and then to support each other mutually and having that compassion. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's, there's just an inherent feeling of weakness. Um, to, anytime you talk about compassion or vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, uh, this past weekend, I went to breakfast with my younger brother and we were just talking Um, I would say there were six of us as kids in our family, three girls, three boys. And I would say out of the six, probably he and I have done the most therapy and all of that kind of stuff around family of origin dynamics. And so we had gotten together and we're just talking and I was asking him how he was doing. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm 40 years old. And he said, I think I'm just now figuring things out. Mm. And feeling okay about who I am and where I am and how things impacted me so that I, so that they're not impacting me the same. We were talking about different things of our family growing up. And, but he said, he said, but it's taken me 40 years and <laughs> loads of therapy. Right. And he said it kind of with some shame. Hmm. Like, and I said, but what an accomplishment. Mm. Right? I mean, A, our dad never got there. Like mm-hmm. he died without knowing an ounce of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So where were you supposed to learn that from? You know, and, you know, and he kind of was saying, and I, I, he's like, I think I knew at a young age that I didn't know what I was doing. He's like, but I felt shame about saying that because then I was exposing family secrets. And then I was exposing that like my dad didn't teach me, which my dad is supposed to do. Yeah. And, you know, and probably because his dad didn't teach him. Right. But, you know, he said, I feel like I'm finally, I have an authentic relationship with my wife. My kids aren't so old that I've completely screwed them up. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but he said, I, I've, I think I'm figuring it out. And I, again, I, I reflected to him and I just said, I think it's interesting that not a lot of men would talk about that and and he wasn't talking about that as one of the great successes in life mm-hmm. and yet what a great success to at 40 years old i think i'm figuring it out yeah 40 i mean that's that's pretty damn good um and you know i want to for for all the men that are listening i want to offer like just a slight um difference because i mean i think it's wonderful you and your brother are having that conversation you know i'd I'd love to be able to have that conversation with some people in my family and some of it's my own courage and some of it's just having people who are receptive to that conversation um but when i talk about men in relationships and i talk about the water for men in relationships what i what i try to emphasize is you know men have it's not just that men have not learned how to do a lot of this stuff, we were told not to do it. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference. Like you can not teach somebody the alphabet, but if every time they tried to learn the alphabet, you told them no and not to, or you hit them and shamed them and made fun of them, 
what kind of connection are they going to have mm -hmm. to that experience? And so that's what I try to help men with when it comes to compassion. I'm like, you're struggling in your relationships. You're not really sure what to do. You know, of course it makes sense. Of course it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Not only that you don't know what to do, but that it feels so against who you are. Right. You know, when you know the one thing you want to do is just hug your spouse. Mm -hmm. and comfort her like you know in your mind you're like that's what she needs and yet you end up being critical or disconnected in some mm -hmm. other way or i would add to that you just really need your spouse to hug you oh well they don't even go there <laughs> you know, one step I mean, at a time <laughs> well I, I mean i'll i'll share this with you i did a keynote and i did a keynote on men and relationships and I wanted to do, I needed a picture from Google, right? We're talking Google, Google Images. I wanted a picture of a woman supporting a man. Okay, mm -hmm. that's what I Googled. Guess how many pictures I got of a woman supporting a man. We're talking like trillions of images. And what I got were a men hitting women. Mm. So I don't even know how that algorithm worked. We got a lot of men supporting women. But I mean, you can do it, do it right after this podcast or as you're listening, mm -hmm. just Google um, a man or a woman supporting a man or a woman loving a man and just see how mm -hmm. few images come up of that. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge, that's a huge piece. Or look at the, the video of the, you know, the, I don't, you've probably seen this, the video in, that was in London or something where they, they showed a man being abusive toward a woman. Mm -hmm. in the middle of a, of a park and how all the different bystanders reacted and responded. They showed a woman being abusive toward a man, creating all the same behaviors and then even notch, even ratcheting it up as far as violence mm -hmm. and people laughed. Nobody stepped mm -hmm. in. People point and laugh at the individual as that's happening. And it's like, that's the water. Like, right. Yeah. You know? Right. Well, it's, I mean, that's the double rule right there where the man rules and the woman rules really, you've got both of those working against you. Number one that says men can't be abused. Right. Um, and that women are never stronger than men. Right. right. So men can't be um, in fear or hurt by a woman. Right. But also that women can't love a man because we're the helpless ones. We're the one that needs to be comforted. And what do we have right. to offer him? Right. So there you go. So as much as I talk about the man rules and as much as somebody can talk about the woman rules, the real healing and the real synergy and the real kind of explosion of transformation lies in us having the really, really difficult and mm -hmm. emotional conversations about how the man rules and the woman rules constantly interact with each other positively yeah. and negatively. Yeah. And keep us from going inside whatever we find there and becoming a whole person. Yes. Whatever and, that looks like. And, and being able to get through it, you know, respectfully or even like, you know, where we can disagree or I, where I can say something provocative or controversial that sounds sexist but may not be. Mm -hmm. yeah. or, you, or Jackie, you could say something that sounds sexist or dismissive that may not be. Mm -hmm. 
But if we get all worked up and emotional reactive about it and, and, and make up that the person's coming from a place of animosity mm-hmm. or adversarial, then we miss that opportunity. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, which I think happens way too often. We get in this us versus them, whether yeah. that's men versus women or women versus men, and then we don't move forward. Totally agree. Well, Dan, this has been a great conversation. I have to say so many of your podcasts that I'm listening to in my car, I have great discussions with you and your guests. (laughs) 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 I just feel like I'm a part of that. So this has been delightful to actually have you, um, you know, through our own Skype and and Zoom and be able to have a discussion with you where um, I'm actually part of the conversation. Well, I, I, I mean it sincerely. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Thanks. Um, and you, the both of you have a really great rapport um, in listening to your podcast. You have a wonderful rapport, very respectful, but also not shying away from difficult topics. Mm. Um, and, and so anytime. Thank, Thank you, you, Dan. Keep and, up the good work. And how do, just real quick, how do people find you and the Man Rules? Sure. So Man Rules podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Um, you can go to my website, dangriffin.com. And you can find me on Facebook, which is at Dan Griffin MA. Um, you can find me there or author D Griffin on Twitter. Um, but uh, those are the primary ways. Really, the website, dangriffin.com, you'll be able to find me through all those other media as well there. Great. Great. Thanks, Thanks Dan. Dan. Thank you. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that your story matters too. And remember, there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story with us until it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I'm learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to, re- to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.